Let us turn, please, to chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. I often turn to the book of Proverbs on Mother's Day for messages, and I preached on Proverbs many times. I have a special affection for the book, as most of you know, because my mother memorized this book when she was in college, and I was reared on it. But I want you to look at verse 2 of chapter 31. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. And of course, it's verse 30 that is the beautiful one. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. She shall be praised. Now in the second verse, what my son and what the son of my womb and what the son of my vow. Tonight I continue this series of messages dealing with the new confession, the confession of 1967. And I wanted to get over to the paragraph. There's a whole paragraph here dealing with with sex. In fact, I don't even like them to use that word. And... uh, This section of the New Confession is capable of the same type of double talk, double understanding that uh, we found running throughout the New Confession. When we get into this area... We're dealing with the seventh commandment of the Decalogue. And in this paragraph, it's on page 191, they don't in any way mention the seventh commandment. They don't use the language of fornication or adultery. All that's gone. And the chapter is so phrased that if you want to look at it and see what is acceptable in the past, you probably could say, well, that means that. Or if you believe in the new morality and are practicing the situation ethics, you can still say, well, that's all right. I come in under that too. And there has been a very designed effort in this area to satisfy a broad area in the life of the church today where there's just plain unadulterated sin and immorality. I'd like to read to you first the larger catechism's statement on the seventh commandment. I want to get that before you because I think if you'll understand that, it's plain, it's clear, you can't be mistaken in regard to it. May I remind you that this larger catechism is no longer a part of the Presbyterian idea. It's completely eliminated from everything. They won't have it anymore. It's gone. 
And yet it's in this section that the sins are spelled out with such precise detail and unmistakable description. Question 139 reads, What are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment, of course, is thou shalt not commit adultery. The sins forbidden in the seventh commandment are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lust. All unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections. All corrupt or filthy communications or listening thereunto. Wanton looks. Imprudent or light behavior. Immodest apparel. Prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages. Allowing, tolerating, keeping of stews and resorting to them. Entangling vows of single life. Undue delay of marriage. Having more wives or husbands than one at the same time, unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancings, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness, either in ourselves or others. Now that's the summary of the sins of the seventh commandment, beautifully stated. Covers all these areas, summarizes what the Bible teaches. Now let me read you from the New Confession. Let's listen to this. Page 191, the relationship between man and woman exemplifies in a basic way God's ordering of the interpersonal life for which he created man. I wish you'd tell me what that means. Anarchy in sexual relationships is a symptom of man's alienation from God, his neighbor, and himself. Nowhere do they define or tell you what that anarchy is or could be. Man's perennial confusion about the meaning of sex has been aggravated in our day by the availability of new means of birth control and the treatment of infectious diseases, of infection by the pressures of urbanization, by the exploitation of sexual symbols in mass communications, and by world overpopulation. Now that is a mouthful. Man's perennial confusion. But what is his confusion? What's the lines of his confusion? Where are the areas where confusion stops and where the truth begins? The church, as the household of God, is called to lead men out of this alienation into the responsible freedom of the new man in Christ. 
All right, what is the responsible freedom of the new man in Christ? Does that include the new morality and the situation ethics? Reconciliation to God or reconciled to God, each person has joy in and respect for his own humanity and in other persons. Now, this is the language of the situation ethics right here. This is it. A man and a woman are enabled to marry, to commit themselves to a mutually shared life, and to respond to each other in sensitive and lifelong concern. Now, when you get that second sentence, follows the earlier one, respect for his humanity, and in other persons. That is the language of the new morality right there, and it comes just before you get married. And I can say to you that anybody who believes in situation ethics and practices situation ethics can read that and say, well, I'm in. I'm still in. I'm not out. Now look at the next one. Parents receive the grace to care for their children in love and nurture and to nurture their individuality. The church comes under the judgment of God and invites rejection by man when it fails to lead men and women into the full meaning of life together or withholds the compassion of Christ from those caught in the moral confusion of our time. Now that's it. That's all there is to it. It's just as general, just as vague. They don't define moral confusion. They don't tell you what sin is. There's no reference to sin in connection with it. They say that the church must administer the compassion of Christ. Beloved, the sins that are involved here require repentance and confession before you can, can get the compassion of Christ. When you're guilty of sin, you must confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, of course, what I've done in my book, in the paragraph, the chapter which we have on this, on page 86 and 87, I describe what I've just told you here. But then I come over to the section where I quote the Bible at some length, which I'm going to do for you now. And then I move from that over into the concluding section where I describe the situation ethics. The situation ethics now is that if two young boys, uh, two, two boys or, or two, a boy and a girl are out together, they're not married, but they seem to feel they like each other and they examine their own situations and they think that uh, they're not going to hurt anybody, they're not going to hurt anybody, anybody's not going to know about all this, they're not going to hurt anybody, so they just proceed to go, to he go ahead and live together. Now, what is significant about this is that the chief spokesman of the whole situation line in the United States is Dr. Joseph Fletcher, Cambridge, Massachusetts, on the faculty of the Episcopal Seminary where we were last Monday and Tuesday in Cambridge. And he's going around the country promoting his own book, but I have a clipping here from the Greensboro Daily News. It's on page 89 where he spoke to a student body down there in um, North Carolina, and he said, the story reads, an Episcopalian theologian said Thursday, premarital sex relations between consenting intelligent individuals should not be condemned. Now this is it. Here it is. 
the teaching of the Bible and the teaching of the church is that a girl is to remain a virgin until she is married. The teaching of the Bible and the glory of the virgin birth of our Lord is that he was born of Mary and she was a virgin. And the teaching of the Bible is that every boy, every girl should not engage in these intimate relationships. They should keep themselves clean and pure until they are married. And they enter the marriage bond with all the protections and all the honor that is due that and which is given to that in the church and in society and in the laws of our land. That is the good order which God has established in his word. That means also that once a person is married, they are bound to that individual the rest of their life, and any unfaithfulness in any way outside that marriage bond is adultery. Any unfaithfulness before the marriage bond is fornication. And these are the words that our Savior used. These are the whole teachings of the Bible. But this is what you call Puritanism. This is what you call the old ideas that we're getting rid of today. And nobody believes them anymore. Nobody practices them anymore. They say, and consequently, the morals of our colleges, the morals on our college campuses, and some of the surveys and statistics are utterly appalling as to just plain, unadulterated immorality. Now, I think it's the task of the church not to confuse the situation, but to condemn the sin. It is the task of the church not to open the door for the new morality and so-called situation ethics. It's the task of the church to close the door to it. If you want to protect the home, you honor the seventh commandment. If you want to protect the sanctity of marriage, you honor the seventh commandment. If you want to protect the respect and the, the dignity of motherhood, you honor the seventh commandment. If you want to protect these great things that have to do for decency and purity among the human race, you honor that seventh commandment. And it is the infallible word of God and these standards of faith and conduct which we have in this book. And isn't it interesting that as soon as they lay aside the infallibility of the scriptures as they're doing, they introduce this section on sex with this broad generalized area which leaves it open for you or somebody else to come along and interpret it to your comfort and to your protection in the sin that you have become engaged in. This whole thing, beloved, lets down the bars and lets down the standards that are in our midst and which God gave to us by which we were to see that we were sinners. Sin is the transgression of the law. And it's by the law, the preaching of the law, that we come under the conviction of sin. And it's by the law that we have the knowledge of sin. And when they wash out the law, when they blend out the law, when they soften out the law and let these things be blurred, then the wicked sinful heart of man moves in to enjoy its sinful lust and its sinful pleasure. Now as I'm developing this for you, your mind goes to some of these other passages in the Bible and I want to show you something. Will you turn with me to this passage in 2 Timothy? 
The little section buried in here that you don't pay very much attention to, it usually you skip over it. But when you get into a subject like this, and you begin to open it, as I'm opening it for you tonight, you see the connection in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days, we're in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then come down to verse 4, verse 5. Men shall have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such you turn away. Now, for of this sort, here they are with their forms of godliness, here they are denying the power of godliness, the power of the gospel, denying the power. Of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. And what interests me about that connection is that right now we have Bishop Pye going all over this country, day after day, preaching in great crowds and on radio and television. He gets up and mocks heaven. He blasphemes the Trinity, has no use for these doctrines. And then before he gets through, he's over speaking a good word in behalf of situation ethics. And the two go together. And when he was down in Texas, I just, I came shortly after him when I was out in Lubbock and he'd filled a whole room there with college students, boys and girls, and he defended the situation ethics and before the whole crowd he said, girls, sex is fun. Now here you are, denying the Bible, denying the Trinity, denying the virgin birth, denying these things, and then introducing this whole question of sex right in the same discussion at the same time. And when I read my Bible in the last days, here they are. They shall have a form of godliness, they shall deny the power thereof, and of this sort, this is the way they are. And when they turn from the restraints of the law, when they return from the condemnations of the word, then they open the recesses of their sinful heart and lust begins to express itself and manifest itself. And it wants dignity, it wants recognition, and it wants to be free so that there's no condemnation. Now that's in the word. Now may I turn with you please to this passage in Corinthians, the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians. First let's turn to the fifth chapter of Galatians. These two chapters go together. These two passages are together. There are many like them, but I'm just giving you these two because they are so very clearly related to the subject. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are manifest. The works of the flesh are not manifest. Which are these? Adultery. Oh, you husbands that have been unfaithful to your wives, you are just big sinners. That's all that's wrong with you. And oh, you wives that have been unfaithful to your husband and to your vows, you're just big sinners. That's what's wrong with you. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication. You young girls running around here at the high school, you young boys running around after these girls, engaged in the lowest form of communication, fornication. You're just big sinners, that's what's wrong with you. Your heart and the lusts of the flesh, you've got a hold of you. Uncleanness. 
unclean. Ah, these filthy tales, these smutty stories, these suggestive things, the use of words with double meanings and all that sort of stuff that's going on today among the young people. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Then we come on down a whole long list of them. And then in verse 21, Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now will you turn with me over, please, to this passage in 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. <clears throat> Verse 9, Know ye not, oh, you Christians, you people who have been born into the kingdom of God, don't you know these things? That the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Here it is. If you belong to the kingdom of God, this sort of conduct is a contradiction to your nature. If you belong to the kingdom of God, if you've been born into the kingdom, this sort of wicked, sinful activity on your part is contradictory to the new nature which you possess in Jesus Christ. Neither fornicators. You know, it always starts out each one of these fornicators. Before you get married, here's your young people running around. Or nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Homosexuality. And homosexuality isn't some uh, maladjustment. It's a sin. That's all it is. The Bible condemns it. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 9, he says, you can't get into the kingdom of God that way. Verse 10 says, you shan't inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Paul says, I've got people in my church. I've got people sitting in the pews of my church that used to be just filthy. They were in sin. They lived the most terrible kinds of lives. I know it. But they listened to the gospel one day and they heard the message of salvation and they knew they were sinners and they repented of that sin. And the Spirit of God came into their lives and from that day on they were clean and they lived clean lives. They were done with their whoredoms. They were done with their adulteries. They were done with their fornications. And they came and they said, Here, Lord, I belong to you now. And here I am. I'm going to live a clean life. I'm not going to become involved in these things anymore. And I'm finished. And Paul says, and such were some of you. Now, beloved, let me explain to you. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And you go to that old Grecian world, if you will. You go into the world where Paul was preaching in Athens and in Corinth and that area. And they were filthy. They gloried in these lusts of the flesh. And believe me, it was everywhere. You had Sodom, you had Gomorrah, you had all the filth that pulls nations down. And in the midst of all of that, Paul began to preach. Here somebody believed, and they came out of their sin, and they became clean. Paul began to preach, and here somebody else got saved, and they came out of their sin, and they said, I have the resurrected life that's in Christ, and I'm going to be like my Savior, and I'm 
through with this sin. Yes, I'm through with my drunkenness. I'm through with my thievery. I'm through with my lies. I'm through with all these things that have brought me down. And because I've come to know Jesus Christ, because I have his power in me, I am finished with this kind of a life. That's what the Christian religion did. It took people out of wickedness and out of filth and out of all the debaucheries into which the flesh of man can come and it made new creatures out of them and these new creatures went out then to preach the gospel and as we see the morals go down as we see situation ethics taking hold in our young people and we see girls ruining their lives and bankrupting their marriages and we see these things coming down you and I have got to get out with the same gospel. We've got to get out with the same gospel. And we've got to preach. And we've got to tell these young girls, you girls leave these boys alone. And we've got to tell these boys, you leave these boys alone. And let's have happy marriages. Let's have some clean marriages. Let's have some pure marriages. Let's have the standards that God has set for us in his word and which God has asked for us to maintain. And you dear mothers, you look after your girls and you protect your girls and you instruct your girls and you guard your girls. And you fathers, you talk to your sons and you tell your sons these things. As a matter of fact, you don't even know, need to go around to some of these unregenerate psychiatrists around here that I hear about in our community, and I have no use for some of these psychiatrists in our community that justify men and women going off and having relationships with other people because of something with a wife or something with somebody else. I have no use for it whatsoever. Everything that we need to know in these areas are right here in this book. And they're here for our edification and for the protection of our hearts and for the protection of our women and for the protection of our homes. And it's right here in this blessed book. Now let me turn to this passage. And such were some of you. Such were some of you, but, and here are the great big buts, but you're saved. You my how he does develop this. You're washed. First thing the blood does is to wash you of your filth. Though your sins be as scarlet, though they be red like crimson, they can be cleansed. But ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And beloved, just think it's this gospel you go out, it's the foolishness of preaching. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's go preach the message that has the power in it to take men who've fallen into sin and raise them up and make them new creatures and give them purity and love and devotion and a happy home and a united family and these great things which God has promised that he will give to those who belong to him. And it's the church that ought to be holding up these standards. It's the church that should be preaching this message of regeneration. And I lead the new confession here when they have this section on sex and shame on the Presbyterian church to throw away the larger catechism, to throw away these standards of the infallibility of our conduct and give us this anemic statement which we have here, which anybody can interpret most any way they want to. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let's go further with this exposition. Notice verse 15 in your Bible. 
Know ye not. Isn't it interesting? All these passages start out, Know ye not. Know ye not. Know ye not. Know ye not. And that's why our confession says that the reading of the Scriptures, but more especially the preaching of the Word, is effectual unto salvation. And when you read the Bible through, you run into these passages. And if these precious girls up here in this choir of mine will read this Bible through, they'll run into some things in this Bible that they won't learn anywhere else but the Bible. And if these young lads up here in this choir of mine will read what the Bible has to say about their own personal conduct and their own affairs, they'll learn something in this book that they won't find in any other book except the Bible. And it's there for their purity. It's there for their own well-being. And it's there for the happiness of their spirits and their hearts in the years that lie ahead of them as they establish Christian homes and seek to rear their children in the ways of purity and honor. And beloved, it takes the power of God and only the power of God to break this sin. Know ye not, verse 15, that your bodies are the members of Christ. Your bodies shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot. Here's the woman, the adulteress. What's the answer? God forbid. God forbid. Since Christ has come into me and he's taken possession of me and I'm a member of Christ, God forbid the thought that a regenerated man, that a man who's been born into the kingdom of God, God forbid the thought that anybody who's been rescued out of sin and out of death and out of hell would take his body and make it a member with an heart. That's a pretty good condemnation of situation ethics, if you ask me. It's a pretty good condemnation of the new morality, if you ask me. Now look a little further. What? Verse 16. Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For to saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And then verse 18. Flee fornication. Flee it. Don't submit yourself to the temptations of it. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I wonder how many of the United Presbyterian churches will ever hear a sermon like I'm preaching tonight again. How many of you will ever hear a sermon like I'm preaching tonight? But beloved, this is the message that will speak to this young girl and keep her clean. This is the message that will speak to this young boy and keep him pure. And this is the message that will speak to the young girl who's fallen into sin and will lead her to the place where she says, I've sinned, Lord, forgive me and give me grace never to become entangled again. And this is the message that gives us clean people, honest people, God-fearing people who delight in the law of the Lord. And oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. That's what the psalmist said. All right, now look a little further. I want to turn down to chapter 7. 
You know, it might be well sometime, of course, chapter 7, of course, usually you like to read that. It's so direct, personal, and deals with married women and unmarried women and virgins and those who've had divorces and their husbands have left them. It takes quite a, quite a few of these situations that have developed. And all of us are in some condition. You're either not married or you are married. Or you're a widow or something else has happened to you in the prophecy of God. You fit into this passage. There's a section that pretty well covers you up. And all you need to do is to read it. But I want you to read the fourth verse. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, this gets into a whole area where the devil can work all his mischief. And this also gets into a very sacred and very private area where nobody should enter except the wife and the husband. Here it is. I want to talk to you girls. This is Mother's Day. There's no greater legacy that a man can have than a mother who believed in these things and stands for them and understands them. It's a terrible thing. I read you this verse in Proverbs tonight. I wanted to develop it for you a little more in detail. Will you turn to it? Hold your finger here in this passage. Don't lose that page. But turn to the 31st chapter of Proverbs. What, my son? And what, the son of my womb? And what, the son of my vows? Yes, this dear mother is getting ready to talk to this lad of hers. And she says, son, you're mine. You're mine. Furthermore, she, you're the son of my womb. You're my flesh. You're my blood, son. You're mine. And furthermore, son, you weren't born out of wedlock. You're the son of my vows. You weren't born out of wedlock. You're the son of my vows. My son. Oh, this mother talking to her son. And she says, son, you are the fruit of my womb. You're my flesh, my blood. I went down to the door of death to bring you into this world. And here I am. And furthermore, you're the son of my vow. I was a clean woman, son. I was a pure mother to you. I was a virgin when I united with your father. And son, I have a right to talk to you. I have a right to speak to you, son. I want to tell you. Now look what she tells him. What does she talk to him about? Verse 3. She talks to him about bad women. Starts right off on the womanhood. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Son, you're the fruit of my womb. Son, you're under my vows. Son, I know what the world's like out there. And don't you get yourself mixed up with these women. And don't you get yourself mixed up with them and give your strength to them. 
Don't you go that far. Furthermore, she says, son, don't you do the things which will destroy kings. I tell you, sir, if you want to be ruined, you just get a conniving woman after you and let her work on you, and you'll go down in a hurry. She'll ruin you. And the first thing that this dear mother tells her son in this 31st chapter of Proverbs is, Son, beware of the women. Beware of them. And I want to tell you, it's a bad thing to be a handsome-looking boy today. Because the women have gotten very aggressive. I know what I'm talking about in these areas, and some of you young people know it too. And I'm preaching on it tonight because I want to bring the conviction of sin into your conscience. I want to bring the conviction of, conviction of sin into your heart. And I want you to come to the place and say, Well, Lord, this is right. I know it and forgive me. And let me honor thee. Thy, my body's yours. My spirit's yours. Now let's turn back. Well, I was going to show you the second thing she talks about here after she tells them to beware of the women. She says, beware of strong drink. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Be careful of the women. But oh, brother, when you come down to the end of this thing, look at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And young man, get yourself a virtuous woman. Get yourself a woman that is pure. Get yourself a woman that is a virgin. Get yourself a virtuous woman and take her to be your wife. And then go on and fulfill what you have here in this 31st chapter of Proverbs. Beloved, here it is. It's all in the Bible. You don't need to know to go to the gutter to get your information on these things. Read the Bible. Read what the Word of God has to say about these things that preserve the home. And oh, what a joy it is when a young man and a young woman come together who love the Lord and then God blesses them with some children, the fruit that God gives them. And here they take these children and rear them and teach them and train them and guard them in the ways that they should go. And that's our task. That's the thing we're called to do. Now will you turn back to 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. All you people need is a lot of information. Know ye not, know ye not, know ye not, know ye not. Now look at what Paul says. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise the husband hath not power over his body, but the wife. Young ladies, you know why we're against this petting? You know, boys, why we're against all this kissing? You know why we're against all this sort of fondling? We know where it goes. We know where it leads. And many a sweet, lovely girl started out with the finest emotions. But this passage says, look at it. The wife hath not power over her body but the husband. And I want to tell you girls here tonight, you nice, sweet, clean girls, don't you get too close to these boys and let them start working on you. Now that's about as plain as a preacher can put it. But it needs to be put in those terms. Now look at this. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his body but the wife. And you boys, be careful, don't you get too close to some of these girls. They'll get you involved before you know it, and the first thing you know, you'll be ashamed of yourself. Now there it is, Paul puts it in just as plain a language as it could possibly be. 
And everybody that's listening to me knows exactly that Paul is telling the truth. And he's saying, here's an area of the sanctity of the marriage where two are bound together in wedlock and you don't dare approach to that area unless you are under the protection of the marriage vows before God. And you stay out of that area. And that's why, beloved, we're against this lewdness. That's why we're against these mini skirts. That's why we're against these lascivious songs. That's why we're against all this salacious literature that's being put out on the newsstands today. It inflames, it agitates, it stirs the deep emotions, but particularly the unlawful lust which is in the hearts of men. And when I read in a paper this past week over here in Chester, Pennsylvania, on three different occasions, a young man, whoever they were, went out and raped three different women. Did you read the story? Well, that's what you get. And I want to say to you people tonight, the more of this so-called sex education that they bring into our schools with pictures and with discussions and detailed analysis of these areas, the moment they get more of that into Haddon Township over here, as they propose, we're going to have more rapes around here than we've had before. You're going to have more illegitimate children. You're going to have more venereal diseases. That sort of thing is provocative. That sort of thing is stimulative because of the nature of the heart of man and Paul puts his hand on it in this passage. And consequently, those of us who've come to know the Lord flee fornication, delight in those things that are clean, and young man, keep thyself pure. Now, I've gone about as far as I think a preacher can go in the pulpit. But I've gone far enough tonight with what the Bible says to tell everybody here that if you've been engaged in your personal life in any such transgressions as we've been talking about, I want to tell you tonight, you're a sinner. And I want to tell you tonight that the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And you better get this thing straightened out before your God. You better repent of it, confess it, ask God to forgive you, and He'll cleanse you. And then ask Him by the grace and the strength that He alone can give you that you won't become involved in any other of these sort of entanglements which are sin. My, we have some interesting problems over on the mission field in Africa where they have polygamy. I've been over there in January here, all the problems. Here's a man who's got six wives and he gets converted. What's he going to do with his six wives? And here's a woman. She's married to a man and he has three other wives and she's the fourth one and she gets converted. What's she going to do with her husband or the other women she's got around her? Bless your soul, the Bible is just as plain and just as clear as can be. And they've worked it out in various standards in order to honor these principles. But now the ecumenical movement comes around and they say, Oh, then Africa, it's all right if you get converted and you've got six wives, you can go on with them until they die. That's ecumenism in Africa. But that hasn't been the position of the great Christian churches has carried this message into these pagan lands and where polygamy has come immediately that has to be stopped and the thing has to be corrected and is corrected by the grace and by the power of Almighty God. And such were some of you. It makes no difference how great your sins may be, how black, how, how, how many they have been. God will forgive you if you'll ask Christ to do it. And then he'll make you a new creature and you can go on and live a clean life. 
Now, before I stop the message on this thing tonight, there's one other area I want to go into. This man, Fletcher, up here, who wrote this book on situation ethics in Cambridge, Massachusetts, he has been identified as a communist by Herbert Philbrick. The documentation is in my book. And it's the communist. It's the mischief of the communist. It's the diabolical scheming of the communist to come in and destroy the morals of our young people and to tear down the standard of the Christian home. And America can't exist without our homes. We can't do it. The communists are interested in this field. The second thing I want to say before I close the message that this situation ethics is a form in which you take the law in your hand. You decide that in my situation, which is very pathetic, I think I'm free to do this and I'm free to do that. I'll agree with this girl out here and she's got a problem too and we'll get together and we'll have an understanding and we'll sin. But it's not sin, it's situation ethics. My, how these preachers, how Blake, Pike, Fletcher, all the rest of these men with their new morality and with their civil disobedience I'm getting into an area here which I want you to see. The moment you can take the law in your hands, the moment you become the judge and the jury and everything else about it, and you say, well, there's no God anymore. I don't need to worry about him. And This is the situation. That was the old day. This is the new day. The church is making its message relevant. And it's all right for me to come into the church in this condition of sin. Then you get into the area of lying. And you can lie when the situation requires it. And you can uh, steal when the situation requires it. And you can even get around to murdering if you think it's a good thing, if the situation requires it. Once you break the solemnity and the authority of the law of God, and once you break that law at the point where the lusts of the flesh are manifest in this area of sex, once you tear that down, and it carries over into stealing, more crime, carries over into murder, more murders, carries over into civil disobedience, and more disrespect for law and authority. And that's where it goes. And beloved, I say to you people tonight, you men and you mothers and your fathers, you ought to be in a church where the preacher talks like this to your children. You ought to be in a church with your children every Sunday morning and night where the preacher can take the Bible and take the standards of the great confession to which we are committed and hold these standards up in the midst of a sinful and adulterous generation. And young man, I challenge you to come to Christ to repent of your sins. And I challenge you to ask Christ to enable you to live a clean life before Him. And then take His talents and take your gifts and dedicate them to His service. And go out and live for Him upon this earth in the few days that we have to carry on a ministry for Him. The church is a place to get cleaned up. The church is the place to get straightened out. 
The church is the place where you come and the preacher sets before you these great and mighty things that tell us of sin. And then we turn to the cross of Calvary. And oh, the woman in adultery, the woman who's wrecked her life, the woman who's ruined the lives of other families and other men's, she can come in repentance of her sin and ask God to forgive her, and he'll forgive her. And oh, the man that's wandered far away from the path that his mother taught him, the man who's wandered far away from what God has given to us in his holy word, he can come into the presence where the preacher is preaching against sin and the Spirit is bringing conviction to the hearts of men. And all that man has to do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me of my sin and my evil way. And God will do it. And then by His grace you can go out and live a clean, straight life. And you can say, I sowed my wild oats. I used, I did the years that the canker worm hath eaten. Those years are gone. But as for me, from now on, I'm going to live a clean, upstanding, honorable, upright life. And I'm going to have a happy home. And I'm going to be true to my wife. And I'm going to give my children something that they can honor in the Father that God gave them. This is Mother's Day. Oh, the broken homes tonight. Oh, the women that have thrown over their marriage vows. Oh, the children that are wandering the streets tonight. What a tragedy has come upon us. And the reason is right here in the pulpits. And I come into your church tonight and I preach to you on these things and I'm going to stop now. But beloved, I wish this church were filled tonight. The churches all over this community are closed up. They have an 8.30 service for the golfers. They have a 9.30 service for the late sleepers. They have an 11.30 service for those who want a little form. And then in the afternoon, they're out having a good time. Sunday nights, they're having their cocktail parties around their television shows. And that's Christianity in our area tonight. And I know it. And I want you people to get saved. I want you to be able to say, I'm born again. And I want you young people to break with what they're doing over here in this Collingswood High School. I want you to turn away with what's going on down here in this Haddonfield High School. And I want you young people to say, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I think more of my body. I think more of my Savior. I think more of the wife that I'll have someday if God gives her to me. And I think more of the children that will be born into my family than for me to set an example and ruin my life like this. I want you to take the gospel. And such were some of you. You used to be just like the rest of them. But now ye are washed. Now ye are sanctified. Now ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And it was out of a filthy pagan world that the power of the gospel brought the Christian church. And it was out of a filthy pagan world steeped in idolatry and in ignorance and in darkness that the Spirit of God by the preaching of the gospel brought men and women to salvation. And then out of that came the light that the Western civilization has received from God. And our forefathers 300 years ago sat down and wrote this great Westminster Confession. Not on the basis of the present experience of the church, but on the basis of the revelation that came from heaven. That's the way they did it. Are you saved? Are you sanctified? 
Are you clean? Are you pure? Do you recoil against these things? Or you do you like to feed on them too out of the wickedness and the lust of your heart? Oh, beloved, only the grace of God and only the power of the gospel can make a believer and keep the Christian and sanctify us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how Paul closed that great Philippian passage I preached on at one time. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, listen to it. Whatsoever things are pure, leave it alone. Put it out of your reach. Be done with this filth and dedicate yourself, young people, to Jesus Christ. He purchased you and your body is His. Give us some mothers like the mothers some of us had. And may some of you young girls here tonight determine in your heart that you're going to protect your purity and you're going to be a virgin for the glory of God. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank thee for the Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord. We thank thee for these great things that are in the Bible. And when we see this denomination putting this paragraph in here on sex, so vague, so general, so self-satisfying to sinners. And as we see a church now which will be filled with people enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Lord, thou hast said the woman that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And Lord God of heaven and earth, we thank Thee for our mothers and the memories that we have. And we thank Thee for young women today. We thank Thee for young girls today who are determined by the help and the grace of God to serve Thee all the days of their life. God, protect our homes. Give us wonderful Christian homes. Forgive us of sin where it's entered. And now, Lord, we ask that every one of us may turn to Christ and say, Lord, there's no one else to keep us but Thee. There's no one else that has power to sustain us but Thee. There's no one else in whom we can rest but Thee. For Christ's sake, Amen.